This is Brian Croft. Welcome to our Practical Shepherding podcast known as Trench Talk, and I am joined once again in studio by Jim Sebastio. Jim, thanks for uh, coming and hanging out with me again. Glad to be back, Brian. It's been so long. It has been. <laughs> it seems like it was seconds ago it, that know. we were recording one of these. It did, but you know, we're we radio professionals. We are. We're trying to just press on and, and pick up like we're, we we just finished a conversation. That's exactly what it you know? feels like. <laughs> so. I want to uh, I want to tackle pastoral mentoring today, and I thought this is one of the topics I really wanted to discuss with you that I thought would be beneficial with the listeners because, as you alluded to in our last podcast, that um, I am a significant moocher when it comes to getting to to ride on your coattails to know some of these these faithful older pastors that poured into you whom have been poured into me in different ways, and I have benefited so much. So a little bit of context, too, just for me personally. I mean, Jim played a major role in just the starting of Practical Shepherding. It's why he is the distinguished president, chairman of the board of Practical Shepherding, uh, and is on this podcast with me. My pastoral mentor who who poured into me, who I looked to, uh, Jackson Boyette, was killed in a car crash with his wife, uh, by drunk driver, four years ago. And it's interesting in the Lord's providence that as that happened, and I felt this significant void of one doing this ministry and trying to care for the pastors, and yet the one person who cared for me the most was suddenly gone. And God, in His kind providence, uh, allowed Jim to uh, just, He made efforts to let me meet some of these men that had poured into Him. And, and I've just been so blessed by these men. So I want Jim to be able to talk about. Um, the relationship he's had with them because it started early on for you as you're starting your ministry. So talk about, you know, kind of talk about your, your, you shared about your calling and where your ministry training was, but talk about some of those, those older men that saw it as their responsibility even to take on the younger men in their midst and mentor them. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. I, I do believe that many of our convictions in regard to what ministry looks like and, and how it's carried out is going to be brought about as a result of the role models in your life. And so discipling, and that, I think that that's, that's laid out for us in, in the scriptures where you know, Paul can say the things you saw and heard in me, these things do. Uh, he, he saw himself you could imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I think we need to be very careful in, in who we imitate. Um, there were men in my life early on uh, who poured themselves into me. And let me, I'm going to say beyond being a, a pastor. Right. So I, I was unconverted uh, first 14, 15 years of my life. I grew up in a typically dysfunctional home. Um, Maybe not so typical. I'm one of eleven kids, so I'm the tenth born out of eleven kids. Yeah, that's not typical. That's not yeah. that part's not yeah. typical. Um, so there's a lot of craziness in my home. I did not have a I did not have a godly father. I did not witness a godly marriage. I didn't witness uh, godly parenting. I didn't I didn't see or hear any any of those things. Mm. And one of the things God put into my heart as a as a young man and in, in coming to faith was not just a a voracious appetite for God's word, but a desire to meet with people that 
were far above me, far advanced, and were living the kind of life I wanted to live. And so uh, in my church, I would take advantage of going to somebody's home and watching them, watching a man love his wife, watching a father deal with his young children, watching them enjoy their children or discipline their children. And I am, in my heart and in my mind, I am taking notes. I mean, these mm-hmm. things are are uh, becoming a part of, of my life. And, and so I, I was privileged not only to hear the instruction from God's Word, but actually then see it lived out up close because people had me in their homes. Mm-hmm. So that was very, very uh, significant. I also witnessed in my, in my life, very thankfully, a, I had a pastor. His name is George McDearman. And uh, George is still the pastor of that little church in what he calls the backwater of New York. He's a Virginian. I never thought he'd be a, uh, up there in Yankee land. Uh, hmm. But there he is. And 40 years later, hmm. Uh, 1977, January 1977, he came to pastor that little church. He's still there. I was three years old, by the way. You, Go ahead. You were three years old. Mm-hmm. I was 14. So, <laughs> you know, um, and he was uh, a man who had a strong conviction regarding uh, pastoral ministry that that was wrapped up in consecutive expository preaching. You preach the text. You preach that text. You don't come at it with anything other than the desire to be faithful to the text and to that context. You don't fear the faces of men. You, you preach the word of God and the presence of God and believe that that's how the spirit works, both to save and to sanctify. That was his conviction. So that's, that's where I was birthed. Hmm. Uh, I didn't. I didn't need to be in a in a place where a uh, somebody would just play with me and um, tell a bunch of jokes and you know to give typical you know teen ministry type idea that that's the only way to reach young people. I was reached with a a strong week by week ministry. I, I, we joke. I joke with my pastor sometimes that the and it's true. The first pa- passage he preached, he was preaching through Galatians was on circumcision. So the first sermon, you know, somebody coming into church for the very first time, first message he hears is on circumcision. <laughs> so I didn't know anything about the Bible. I, I, I could not have told you um, if Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph, was before Jesus or after Jesus. I couldn't give you a Bible timeline. Um, I knew a few Bible stories from from. Growing up in the South, I, I spent some time in Virginia, and uh, I, I saw some Bible cartoons on television, <laughs> and I was about it. Hollywood taught me a little bit. So uh, anyway, uh, it was that kind of ministry that I first heard. So that, to me, was pastoral ministry. Hmm. And the men he was friends with, and the kind of men that would have come and filled the pulpit, were also men like that. They were serious men who took the Word of God seriously. Then I went to college, and so for the first time in my life, I became exposed to what, and I'm not trying to be offensive here, but what some would call typical Southern Baptist ministry. Uh, oh, that hurts. Man. Okay. <laughs> right. yeah, I'm just so kidding. sorry, Brian. I think we all who are Southern the, Baptists would understand what you yeah, mean. So a, uh, a light atmosphere geared toward invitation, a surfacey, only John 3.16 ministry. Yep. 
you'd get to the end and the pastor would say, now we come to the most important part of the service, which was built upon the invitation. You know, so the most important part was getting somebody to walk an aisle and, and make a decision. Uh, so I, I was shocked a little bit by that. I, I remember going to various churches, trying out churches when I went to college for several weeks before I even opened my Bible. I didn't mm-hmm. need to open my Bible. I didn't have to follow along. Uh, there wasn't the, the lovely sound of the rustling leaves or mm. passages uh, as people are turning and, and seeing it with their own eyes. Uh, in the Word, I actually wound up attending a uh, a PCA church, a Presbyterian church um, in town, because the pastor there um, had a an expository ministry, yep. and that's what I was that's what I was looking for. And so I'm I'm very thankful that the first man God put into my life hmm. was a man committed to consecutive expository ministry, to preaching the that passage without fearing the consequences without fear of offense. Oh, I can't say that because the biggest giver in the church might leave. Mm. Um, he was a courageous man, and uh, and I have referred to him at times as being you know, kind of a tenacious bulldog of a man. If I had to give an animal for him, it would be a bulldog. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you're, you realize that your experience is very unique in that most people, I assume, have had the experience I did. And that's I grew up in a really unhealthy church. I was a, a I was a believer as a teenager, but was stumbling around the church I was a ten, I was a part of. My family was a part of. It was not a healthy church. Didn't preach the gospel, and so uh, a lot of people grow up in churches like that. Go to college or become young adults and are trying to sort through all these things. And much like I had to, I entered ministry without any kind of mentoring and made a lot of really hard, difficult mistakes. Sure. And, you know, and, and I see God's providence in teaching me the way he did. And, and it certainly brought uh, ministry opportunities like Practical Shepherding and others along that came with learning the, the lessons from those mistakes. But ideally, having an experience where you're younger and invested in like you or is, I want to put this paradigm before the listeners because I think most have the experience I do. And many pastors I talk to have no idea even a category of what does this look like because none of us experienced it, but you did. I did, and I I recognize it's it's rare, and I feel so incredibly blessed, and I I marvel at times. I, I don't know where I would have gone and what I would have been. Uh, there were other men in my life, I think some of them very well-intentioned. I, I got involved a little bit in some youth ministry, and I had uh, at one point— um, a fellow that was in charge of a, a Youth for Christ organization, uh, the local branch of which was Campus Life, as I knew it when I was in, in high school, who, who told me that he saw certain gifts in me, and he told me, hey, any, any, uh, you know, follow this track, follow, and, and you'll, you'll be able to have whatever city you want to have in America, and blah, 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 you know, tr- I, you know filling my head with that kind of thing. And had I gone down that track, I, I don't know mm. where I would have ended up. Uh, I went to Bible college, and again, there were some good, godly older men that I kind of attached myself to. Uh, one, man, one man that some of your listeners might know, uh, a man named Richard Belcher, uh, Doc Belcher, uh, has written a, a series of books. Some of you who may have come to the doctrines of grace uh, may have used a, a journey in grace and some of those 
books called Theological Novels mm-hmm. uh, that my old friend Doc Belcher. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, another man who saw something, I don't know if he saw anything in me, but he certainly decided to invest in me mm-hmm. and would take me out to lunch uh, or I'd take him out to lunch. We would alter it. Uh, every other week we'd go out to lunch somewhere um, and again, invested um, in me. And then when I went to uh, Trinity Academy in, in Montville, uh, the uh, one of the pastors of that church, a man named uh, Al Martin, uh, who is a, a very, very gifted preacher, uh, also took time and invested in me. I, I can remember very clearly early on, I was 23 years old, and one Lord's Day morning, uh, early in the morning, he called, and he was going to be preaching at a church in Pennsylvania, and his wife wasn't feeling well, and he said, I'd like to have somebody travel with me, or, or would you be able to keep me company today? And he was a man in his uh, 50s at that time, and uh, we just spent those hours driving, and again, he just he just took the opportunity to, to ask good probing questions about my life, about my thought life, my purity, uh, areas in which I might be struggling, as well as just beginning to share stories about teaching and preaching, uh, about your own spiritual development. And again, these were men that not only talked to me about what does it look like to preach, what's it look like to pastor, but it was what's it like to be a man, what's it Mm -hmm. like to to love your wife? What's it like to be a dad? What's it like to just wrestle with God? Mm. Uh, what's it like to, to read your Bible just as a man? Because you're a Christian and you need the word. Mm. And you need to pray, not because you're going to stand up in the pulpit, uh, but because that's, that's what a Christian man ought to do. Mm. And this is what Christianity looks like um, in the home, in the, in the trenches, in the day-to-day life. And so I'm, again, very, very thankful for men that promoted the fear of God, a holy, wholesome fear of God, a love of God, a consistency in the spiritual disciplines. All of those things are just serve as the, something of a framework or background or foundation for, for, for life as well as for public ministry. Now, what are some of the, what are some of the like, significant lessons you learned from some of these men? So you, mentioned, you mentioned Pastor Martin. What are some other, I mean, I know I think of even three or four other men that I know have had heavily, you've been heavily influenced by. Can you think of just some of those key lessons you learned that they taught you that some of the listeners who haven't had those mentors, maybe they're young in their ministry, haven't been taught some of these lessons. What would some of those be? Yeah, um, I've touched on a couple of them, but let me, let me just say that sometimes it's, there is the very intentional aspects of mentoring, and there are the subtle forms of mentoring. So sometimes the so so say the subtle forms of mentoring. Um, you're with men that are prominent men, uh, at least in our my little circle of churches, uh, which is a much you know uh, a smaller circle than than some are in. But you see men that are are prominent, and you you watch them uh, say after a church meal. And you see these men get up and and they start collecting the plates or the cups yep. of other people. They're not not sitting there like some grand poompa poompa whatever the word is there. You might want to edit that out. <laughs> Actually, uh, no. I think that's exactly the word we want to keep. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't sit there enthroned. 
yeah. expecting people to serve them. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're not drawing attention. Hey, watch me. Watch what I'm doing. Yeah. But as a young man, and, and you do watch, and you do you do desire to, to look at older men, and, and either you see good things or you see bad things. So you see them serve people. You see how they listen to people. Mm. Uh, making eye contact, letting that person know right now uh, I'm zeroed in on you. You're, you're, you know, that this is who I'm here to serve. It doesn't mm. matter who you are. It doesn't matter uh, how much. Doesn't matter how much money you give. Doesn't matter how prominent you are. You're, you're one of the flock. Uh, I mentioned the matter of just being able to be in their homes, watch them interact with their wife, mm. uh, watch them with their children, listen to their kids talk about them. And you say again, that's the kind of man I want to be. Not just so it's not just in the pulpit. And in the pulpit, you learn a lot of other. Th- you, know, you learn you learn how to exegete a passage. You learn how to apply a passage. You learn how to be clear, concise, Christ-centered, bringing in the gospel. Uh, how to illustrate. Um, and again, sometimes they'll teach you that on the side as well, and say, okay, he, uh, did you now? You want to be a preacher? Did you notice? Did you notice? That did you notice in transitions or yeah. how you work through an illustration or, or something like that? That can be very helpful. But it's just sitting under a ministry. Uh, one of my mentors called preaching uh, an imitative art form, and that is, and what he meant by that mm. is that you you learn to preach by listening to other people preach, and then he would add to that, and then you learn to smother it with your own fingerprints. I think you have you've established an interesting paradigm even for a pastor who is longing for some kind of mentor as they're in their ministry. And and that is to look for a man that almost you look at their life and you see their ministry and you it's somebody you would aspire to want to be like. Exactly, right. You, you want to sit, I want to say for young guys pursuing ministry, and you're thinking about what kind of church do I want to be at? And I just want to challenge you in this. I, I don't want to bind anybody's conscience, but a lot of young young seminary guys they come in, they're twenty three years old, and they already want to be the preacher boy. They they want to go pastor a church. And what I want to encourage is that you spend some of those formative years sitting under a ministry that's like the kind of ministry you want to have. Mm, that's good. And that and that and that are pastored by the kinds of men you want to be. Uh, so surround yourself not with necessarily the guy with the biggest church, but if you're if you're struck by the godliness of a man and by the humble giftedness of a man, and you think to yourself that man, I, that's the kind of way I want to teach or I want to preach. That's how I want to learn to handle a text. You're not going to learn that in a classroom mm-hmm. as much as you're going to learn that by. Being a part of a church, hearing maybe not just one man, but but hopefully a plurality of men who have a wide range of usefulness and giftedness. But as you piece those things together, you begin to learn. You can take one thing from one man, another thing from another man in, 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 in public ministry. But there ought to be the unifying sense of these are just these are good men who love the Lord. They love other people. They serve other people. They're evident by, again, they're eminent in their love um, with their kids. Their kids love them. It's it's obvious their kids love them. Their kids respect them. And you say to yourself, that's what I want in my life. I, I, I want to I have a home that's marked by love and service and joy and happiness mm. and godliness and 
where we you work through things and you you bring the gospel into issues it's natural to talk about spiritual things and to pray together and to reference the word of god that's an open home a generous home and and so when those are the kinds of things i saw in the men that shaped my life early on and and, and so you know part of it's bible conviction but some of it is it's just what you saw yeah. and, and and so for some men you didn't see it and so you got to root it first of all in bible conviction and it may be some men you're at the point right now where you say well i'm going to just have to be on the other side of it and hopefully i can live my life in a way that is attractive to a younger man pursuing ministry mm. and that you show to them and not just the trials and the hardship of ministry and, and sometimes yeah that is what you're going to have some conversations you have with older men in ministry with mentors is heartbreaking uh, one of the men who's one of the the dearest mentors of my life i first met him after he was kicked out of his church and he was very heavy-hearted mm-hmm. And uh, it was very, very raw. Now, since then, he's been in much better circumstances and situations. But I walked with him through that. Another uh, older mentor in my life, I was uh, on the phone with him regularly. These are Englishmen, a couple of Englishmen I'm referencing now, um, in the midst of a church split. And I tell you, sometimes you, you want to talk to a man walking through a church split, you're not going to be talking about how wonderful it is to to serve the Lord, but you're going to talk about how worthy Christ is to suffer for. So that's another thing that you learn, and you, you put that into your 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 carry-on luggage. You know mm-hmm. what I mean by mm-hmm. that? It's some or your a knapsack or something. You, your, your maybe your briefcase is a better way. Mm-hmm. Something you carry with you regularly, your backpack or your briefcase. Yeah, because that's the kind of stuff you need every day. Because you may be but a week away from that. Um, ministry sometimes is lived on the knife's edge and you don't know what a day is going to bring forth and, and what had been 10, 15, 20 years of seemingly a peaceful situation blows up overnight and now you're dealing with stuff you never had to deal with before. But if God calls me to that, I'm going to know. I, I have seen I've seen men go through that. And, and as somebody has well brought out, that there are certain passages in the Bible that are not just exegeted with your tools but they're exegeted in life well i I have found that with um spending years serving at churches but pastors did not mentor me i I longed for that Mm. they did not see that as their role and so when jackson came along later you know probably about eight years eight nine years after i had uh, into my ministry and you know there was a bond that took place because of everything you're talking about ultimately I saw a man I wanted to be, I kind of referred to him as a man I wanted to be when I grew up. Right. And there was something that just, just knit our hearts together in that. And he wanted somebody to pour into. Right. And so I was somebody who longed for it for years and saw I needed it and didn't know where to find it and then found it in him. And that's what made it so, so special. It's also what made it so special to get to meet some of the men that, that you've allowed me to to meet from Austin Walker to Bill Hughes to to some of these men. I want to mention their names mm-hmm. in case people don't know who they are. They need to, you know, they need to seek them out. Go listen to some of their sermons online, whatever it is, because these are special men, uh, men unlike anybody I've ever I've ever met, and got to meet them through you because 
All, they poured into you in different ways. I'm glad I have at least some utilitarian usefulness to you. I feel indebted to you the rest of my life, basically, because I get to, well, to know those men. I am very happy for that. And they were a blessing to me, and I'm very thankful to pass on that blessing to, uh, to others. So this is the Practical Shepherding Podcast, so let's get practical for a minute as, as we wrap up the next few minutes. Um, let's kind of set a paradigm. We've kind of done that in some ways in the conversation, but... A pastor's listening to this, and he says, okay, you know, I hopefully we've given him a few ways to seek out possibly finding a mentor for him, which, by the way, I don't care how old you are and how long you've been pastoring, that the fellowship of having someone who maybe has a little more experience, a little exactly. more knowledge, a little a little more uh, just grit from doing the work of the ministry, right. uh, seek that out. But what I want to do is I want to call, this is the burden I feel, I want to call pastors to see that this is our role as a pastor that just the calling of a pastor people are looking to us to influence them in this way right what are some practical ways pastors can um uh, be intentional and, and practical things about how they can be intentional to uh to identify young men pour into them to be this mentor to the younger guys right what well, i think you're Brian, obviously you're absolutely right in this, and this is one of the great passions of your ministry. So 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, that's one of those texts that I think we both feel compelled to see lived out. So I'm going to talk maybe, again, generally, and then maybe some more specific things just mm-hmm. very quickly. <clears throat> Generally, you, you, you strive to have an open heart and open life and open home mm. um, so that the, the people in your, in your flock are you're, you're known, uh, you're a known commodity, your life is, a, is, is, is open, uh, you have an open heart, uh, so you, you look for opportunities to, uh, again, just generous. So people are they're in your home, they, they listen to you talk. With certain men in particular, then, you begin to recognize and realize maybe a, a younger man, you, be, you pour into some younger men uh, in the congregation, uh, get times with them, go out to, go out to breakfast with them, uh, take them out to lunch, have them in, have them in your home, and look for when, it, when and where it's appropriate to talk about a pastor's heart, uh, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, you know, what you're burdened with, what you find to be a great joy. I want to make pastoral ministry something that people would desire and aspire to. It's a, a high and holy calling. And, mm-hmm. a, and I say that without denigrating any, any other calling. But there is a sense in which I think we recognize it, it is among the, the greatest callings that, that anyone can have. And so when you're talking to a young man who thinks maybe he wants to be a lawyer or he wants to do this, wants to make a lot of money, wants to play shortstop for the Reds or whoever it is, and you say to yourself, you know, there's something even greater than that, and that's investing your life uh, into a, a pursuit of seeing people converted and, and conform to the image of Christ. And so that, that's kind of just the whole general thing. You mm. you maybe even at times, even when you're teaching and preaching, you say to people, I just want to explain what, I want to explain what I'm doing. And um, this is 
This is how you do a word study. You, you know, I want you to understand. I'm trying to take in context, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to lead you through that, yep. so that people, oh, okay, that's that's how you prepare. That's how you teach. That's how you preach. Um, you want to continue to grow in in, in your gift, you know, pursue excellence in your calling and your gift, so that not only God is honored and glorified, but again, so that maybe somebody pursuing ministry will get a, a good idea of how to teach and preach. Yeah. Uh, but then more specifically, as you say, you begin yep. to identify uh, certain uh, fellows that, that either you identify or they identify themselves. I'm interested in ministry. If somebody says that, you then begin to take it as, all right, this is part of it, not just to say, oh, well, let's find a school we can send you to. Yep. Let me palm you off on, on somebody else. But you begin to think about, all right, how can I, how can I pour these things into you? So... There's elements of knowledge, um, exegesis, those kinds of things, books on pastoral theology, and some of that more. But then, there, but the stuff that you bring that nobody else can bring is saying, "All right, let me let's get together, uh, let's spend time together. Let's uh, I, I, wanna, I, I want to I'm going to pose things to you." Uh, or again, uh, I'm meeting with somebody tonight and they said, it's okay for you to come along. Yeah. I'm going to the hospital. I'd like you to, I'd like you to come along. And if somebody begins to say, well, that's not the kind of stuff I'm interested in. I, I want to preach. I want to become a famous preacher. I want to be a conference speaker. Why somewhere. would I want to go to a widow's home with you? Why would, why I, would I do a that? Home? Exactly right. Why go to the, why go to a funeral home? Why, why call and list, you know, comfort somebody who's, who's broken hearted? And, and let them see that, you know, the, the work of, of shepherding, it, it's again, it's shepherding the flock, which is made up of individual sheep that you love and that you care about and you carry their joys and their burdens in your heart and before the throne of grace. And they're in your heart and they're on your mind. You carry them into the study. You craft your sermons the way a mother and wife learns to craft her cooking uh, to meet the needs uh, of of her kids and and of her husband, so mm. you know she might put a, a splash of Cholula sauce in, into your eggs in a way that she wouldn't had she married somebody else. I so want to know what that looks like in the sermon. By the way, what that looks like, but... yeah, what, yeah. Well, what that looks like <laughs> is you, is that they recognize you know us. That's a special your address, touch. That's a yep. special touch. It's it's not a generic McDonald's hamburger. It's not this sermon would preach anywhere and everywhere exactly the same way. Mm. It's that you lost your mom last week. Your son died of cancer a few months ago. And I still remember that. Yep. And I know some of you are hurting and some of you are grieving. Mm -hmm. And some of you are dealing with this and some of you are dealing with abandonment. And so you preach on husbands and wives with a recognition. There's five people that have been divorced in your congregation. Mm -hmm. And that when you deal with the ideal home, that there's going to be a brokenhearted woman there who lost her husband a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, and and you reference things like that or you or you've got you're preaching on the joys of marriage, but you've got 14 40-year-old single women in your church who are they going to hear that and think there's no usefulness? Oh, this is the only way to be useful yep. is to be a wife and mother. That's what I mean. That's pastoring. Yeah. That's that, preaching, that, that's, pastoring and pre yeah, when you're and, preaching. And, and it's in your own individual context, which is different at Auburndale than it yep. is. Yeah. Uh, in my congregation. It's good. And I think when you, you gave the example of Pastor Martin earlier that I think was really helpful in, in just affirming what you're talking about, that he just said, like, my wife can't come along with this preaching I'm doing. Right. She 
she usually comes, but she's not. Right. You want to come? I mean, I love how I work. You want to come? Just keep me company. Right. You know, and that that is a that is an intentional effort that he made to have that time in the car with you, for you to watch him preach and interact with others like right. that, be able to talk. I mean, I think that just this is not difficult to to know how to do this. It's a matter of doing your ministry and taking young men along with you to help them, let them. They can't watch you if they're not around you in your ministry context. Right. It has to be on your radar. I think that's where it starts. You have to be thinking in, 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 in this terms that I don't, I don't want to hoard my pulpit. So it's another matter. Sometimes you can say, all right, I think it's, it's time for you to, to do some teaching and preaching. Mm-hmm. And you have to tell your folks, you know what? This is the kid's first time. And it's not going to sound like a guy who's been preaching for 40 years. If, if you're expecting him to sound like Alistair Begg or John Piper, the— uh, or Brian Croft or Ryan Fullerton the first time out. You got to let a guy get up there and, uh, you know, um, and, and it wasn't the greatest thing in the world. But that was an attempt of, of, of a young man to, to preach the word faithfully and to the degree that he did that, learn to be grateful for it and encourage him. Think about ways you can be a help to him. How's this for an exhortation? I told our church last month when we were meeting and we were kind of just laying out the reasons that we have a lot of different men preach on Sunday evenings, uh, men who are trying to test their gifts for preaching. Right. Because you do have people who get frustrated with, this is not as strong a preacher as this person, right. and, and trying to encourage people to to come out knowing when these, these younger, sure. inexperienced men are, are preaching. And we've sent enough men out into the ministry that I told everybody, look, we, we don't get to celebrate we don't get to see them grow and celebrate the really good sermons if we don't remember the bad sermons. So if you have the opportunity to hear right. a bad sermon, it's right. and then they grow and they flourish, you get right. to remember and talk about that bad sermon in, a, in an encouraging yeah, right. way. Paul says, let, you, let your progress be made known to all men. Yeah. Well, that means some of them, that meant that you weren't as good yeah. and that you're growing in your gift and your ability to communicate and to love the flock. And that's a whole other subject maybe sometime, the whole issue of... Uh, when you love people and they love you, your ministry gets a lot better all of a sudden. Yeah, and I, I think just a, a final word from each of us. Mine would be that this is this is worth doing. Now, it's not, I think it's the it it's part of our calling yes. based on based on Second Timothy two two, but it's also I have to say one of the greatest joys I experience as a pastor, having done this now for a certain amount of years, probably other than seeing people converted and yeah. baptized and, and see Christ change their life. A pretty close second joy is watching guys come in who are immature and rough around the edges. Remember, we're close to ready for ministry. And they come in and you invest in them. The church invests in them and loves them. They begin to grow and you then watch them leave and flourish in ministry. And to get to be a part of those men's ministries is, is, is one of the great joys that, that I personally get to experience. But the reason this is so hard for people to do, for pastors to do, we don't want to invest in somebody and then send out our best from us. We want right. to keep them. So I just want to I want to urge any pastors listening to this thinking, yeah, this sounds great and I should do this, but what to turn around and then they're going to leave and I got to start over. But but it's still worth sending out your best. God always sends more when you send out your best. Right. Any final word on why this is worth doing, Jim? Well, I mean, obviously, it's we are seeking something that's, if Christ doesn't return in our lifetime, that is going to go beyond us. And we don't want our ministry in that sense to be 
that, that has a start and finish date with our birthday and death day. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to be able to say, you know, that, that there was a, a righteous Bible-based burden of ministry that's been passed on. It's a legacy that I received from other men that I sought to hold on to and, and cherish in my life and that, God willing, I've, I've passed on, already passed on to some men and will pass on yet to others. Mm-hmm. I want to say to some men, in case they're, they, they may even be discouraged in, 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 in some of this, because uh, there have been men, there have been so many guys that have floated in and out of here through the years. Mm-hmm. And Brian, we live in, we shouldn't say, you know, we live in, in Louisville, which is Seminaryville, uh, and so we have the opportunity in our churches to potentially have dozens or hundreds of people over the years pass through here who already have some aspiration yeah, for that's ministry. Right. That's, right. that's not going to be true of a guy living in, yep. you know, wherever it is. So some people, wow, we're not like Brian. Wow, Brian's got 15 interns or had 20 <laughs> interns in, in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's going to be different. It's a unique place here, for it sure. It's unique, and because we've not been um, uh, an SBC church, uh, we've not had as many seminary guys in here. But we often get checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, we're the odd, you know, we're the weirder ones here, you know, whatever. RBC is a little bit on the um, <clears throat> on the fringe for some people on that. <laughs> Which some people find attractive, and now somebody's going to be really intrigued. You to certainly have, as a result of that. you have your own unique role in this city, Jim. I just want you to know that's right. Um, but I have had, I, I I don't remember how many guys through the years have said, "Hey, I don't know if you remember, we just we were just here for two weeks." Um, but you said something, or you mm-hmm. spoke a word to me because you know I was interested in ministry, and you you grabbed, you just took me by the arm. He just said a little something to me, and I've never forgotten it. Huh. Or they call and they email and ask for advice. So you just you just never know that little bit. Every time you preach, every time you talk to somebody, you, you, you just never know what that's going to mean. Hmm. Real quick illustration. Joe DiMaggio, uh, the old Yankee center fielder, uh, was once asked, why do you play so hard every day? Every game, and he said, there may be some kid coming to his very first ball game, Mm. and I owe that kid my best. Mm. And we ought to have something of that knowledge every Lord's Day. The Lord's worthy of our best, but there also may be some young guy coming in, and he's wondering about ministry. He has seen a lot of hypocrites in ministry. He's seen guys who... It's a it's a lark to them. It's an easy life to them, or whatever. All the variety of things that are associated with ministry. And he's going to mm-hmm. come in. He's going to watch a man deliver that text with a with all his heart and with a desire to do good. And it's going to have the effect that John Piper's preaching had on you when you went to that conference yeah. or something like that. That's right. And it may just open his eyes, and he's going to say to himself, "I had no idea." the pastoral ministry could be like that. Mm-hmm. And, and and I want that. And I want to do that kind of good in the souls of people. So you, you never know. Yeah. Um, little investments, some investments are, are a penny, a nickel, a dime. Others are $1,000, $10,000 investments. Mm-hmm. But invest. Look for opportunities to invest. That's a really helpful exhortation. Let's take that as our final word on this topic. We could talk a whole lot more about it. But um, 
And again, if you have questions that you want Jim and I to tackle, please write us at practicalshepherding.com and uh, just send us your questions you want us to tackle. We'll be glad to. Um, is it just practicalshepherding.com? Is there something in front of that? Uh, it's, well, you get oh, the. Th- oh, you're just going to the website. Just the I'm website. Going, okay. I thought you were giving an email address. No, there's, there's contact information. Just one, you can find it when you go to the gotcha. website. And, gotcha. So contact us. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to be able to try to tackle some of these things. You guys have written me for years and try to tackle things on the blog, but now that you have the podcast, this is a great opportunity for us to be able to have dialogue about these things, which I think is a more, even a more helpful way to try to address them. So write us. We'll be glad to try to tackle those things for you. I want to pray, though, specifically for, for the pastors that are listening to this who are um, discouraged about not knowing how to invest in others and that, we, that God will give you insight and even courage to be able to step into that realizing that God can uh, influence even one sermon you preach, as Jim talked about, somebody can walk through those doors and and experience a pastor preaching in a local church in a way maybe they never had experienced before. So let me pray to that end. Lord, thank you for these who are listening to this, pastors and leaders and others. We ask, Lord, that this conversation would would, um, ignite our passion to want to pour into others, whether we're a pastor or not that we would see that you call us in Scripture to invest, for the older to invest in the younger, for us to pour into others and disciple and, and help each other grow in Christ. So, Lord, would you take those listening to this and would you pierce their hearts to bur- and burden their conscience to see the need to have this on their radar, that this is a part of the ministry that you have called us to. And, Lord, may you make it fruitful in the lives of those who are listening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Trench Talk. We'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you might have for us. So to get in touch with us, you can email us at brian at practicalshepherding.com or you can contact us through Facebook or Twitter. You can find out more about Practical Shepherding at our website. And at the website, you can find our blog and you can also find information about articles and books that we've published. You can also find out information about our regional workshops where we engage pastors face-to-face to equip them for the trench work of ministry. So until next time, may the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you as you labor in the trenches of pastoral ministry.